0: The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Mark 10, 43-45. I want us to be thinking about this as we go through the story of Luke today. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Are there some of you who um, have felt that your testimony wasn't good enough? What I mean by that is um, it wasn't dramatic enough. It wasn't um, impressive enough. Uh, Maybe you didn't rob a bank. Um, You didn't shoot up heroin when you're five years old. Um, you weren't a member of the Bloods or the Crips. Um, um, <laughs> the reason I'm saying that is because I struggled with this for years. Um, in fact, I struggled with it so much, and I'm, I'm serious here, that I made up a testimony uh, to go along with my testimony as kind of introduction because I felt like I just didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't bad enough. Um, uh, You know, eventually, I came to the realization that by the grace of God, I am what I am, right? And that God's grace to me took, I mean, it took even more incredible grace to save me, one of the best Pharisees that has ever lived, one of the most judgmental, looking down on others, thinking I was better than other people, Growing up as a pastor's kid, okay, just to give you a little. Until I came to that realization that it takes incredible grace to save a self-righteous person. Um, But until then, I made up this great testimony. And this is kind of how it began. I'll just give you the beginning of it. It began something like this. Um, I grew up in the arms of an older woman. And I was constantly on the bottle. (laughs) Which is normal when you're a baby. And your mother is that older woman. And she feeds you with a bottle. Um, Luke was that kind of a person. (laughs) You know, we've looked at Manasseh. Last week, Daniel looked at Manasseh. I mean, he was he was an evil guy, right? I mean, he sacrificed one of his sons on an altar. We've talked about Esther and Mordecai, who were incredible. God used them to prevent the annihilation of his people in the face of this Xerxes, the most powerful person on the face of the earth. We've looked at Hagar and... and uh, a bunch of the others, Solomon, you know, but we come to Luke and I think for most of us, I know for me, as I've, as we've looked at all these others, Luke is the one that I can identify with the most. And I think maybe that's the way it is for some of you because um, Luke was a doctor. Luke was an author. Um, he wasn't a prostitute like Hagar. He wasn't like Solomon, who began listening to God and ended up listening to his one thousand wives and serving other gods. He was a doctor, and he was a an author. Um, in fact, even though Luke wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, never once in those fifty two chapters does he mention himself. He's anonymous. He's only mentioned three times. The only reason we know who Luke is is because the Apostle Paul mentioned Luke three times himself. In Colossians, in passing, he says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. That's how we know that he was a doctor. In 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul says, Luke alone is with me. And in Philemon 1.24, he mentions Luke along with Mark, Aristarchus, and Demas, his fellow workers. So Luke is kind of like this unimpressive, quiet, behind-the-scenes guy. But that God used in an incredible way. Back to Mark. The son of Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And and it's like Luke, in in response to his savior Jesus, is that same guy. He, He came not to not to be flashy, not to be have fame, but anonymously to serve in such an incredible way that we have the book of Luke, we have the book of Acts, and as we're going to look, as Paul's personal physician, probably a lot of Paul's ministry and a lot of Paul's books we have because of Luke. Um, what does it mean to be a hero, to be famous. I think in, in the world that we live in today, it's, it's people that are up front, right? <laughs> people that are famous, have a lot of money. Uh, they're on the screen. They make, uh, they're athletes. But if we're to ask in God's eyes, who's a hero? I think it would be simply someone replicating Jesus, living like Jesus who lives their life to serve others. And as we follow Luke's story today, I pray that God would just challenge us to be those people, not people that have to be noticed, not people that have to be uh, praised, but people that just humbly, quietly uh, serve Jesus and others in a way that impacts lives in an incredible way. The So what we're going to do, because... Uh, like I said, he's only mentioned three times in passing. So how do you how do you look at a guy like Luke? Well what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at him like we would look like an look at an author, right? If you wanna get to know an author, what do you do? You read what they write, right? Right, right, those are spelled different. The um if you wanted to get to know Benjamin Franklin, you'd read poor Ben's almanac, right? And what did he say? A penny saved is a penny earned. That's pretty important. But what Luke wrote is so much more important. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend most of our time, we're going to look at some of what Luke wrote. And I want you to realize as we read these things that without Luke, we wouldn't have any of this inspired scripture, these incredible truths um, that we have today. So we're going to start. Luke chapter 1. This is the supernatural birth of John the Baptist. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, meaning Zachariah, who was John the Baptist's father, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zachariah saw him, the angel, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, Will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now, Zachariah and Elizabeth were both old and way beyond childbearing age. And so the angel says, You're going to bear a son, and you're going to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. He was going to be, to be a Nazarite from birth, totally devoted to the Lord. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And that was John's role. And that's what we know from Luke's writing to make ready a people prepared. For Jesus when he came. We see next in Luke chapter 2. We wouldn't have this if Luke didn't write the birth of Jesus. Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem. The town of David. Because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary. This is what Caesar had decreed. Everybody had to go back to their birth town who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in claws and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. And we read these scriptures every Christmas time and we wouldn't have these except for Luke. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will be great joy for all the people for today in the town of David, Bethlehem, a savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. And just a little aside next Sunday night as I share about Islam, when we were living in Teneb-Tibon in the southern Philippines and serving among an unreached Muslim people group, having a festival celebrating the birth of Jesus, the first time our neighbors had ever heard about Jesus as we celebrated his birthday. And this scripture was read in Maginna and in their, their language for the first time. Uh, it caused a huge uproar because Jesus was called the Lord. Um, and if you want to know the rest of the story, you'll have to come next Sunday night. <laughs> this will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Um, Luke chapter four. As Jesus returns to his hometown, Nazareth, as an adult, and he goes into the synagogue and they hand him the scroll of Isaiah to read, um, Jesus opens it to this passage. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor and he has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoner, for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And when Jesus closed the scroll and said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, and after a few more things the crowd in an uproar because he had called himself the messiah this is a messianic passage they they tried to throw him off a cliff in their anger but he walked through the midst of them luke chapter 10 we wouldn't have the story of the good samaritan if it wasn't for luke a religious expert in the law asked jesus a question and said who is my neighbor and in response, Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan where this Jewish man was walking down the streets of Bremerton and he got attacked by some of our youth and got beat up and he was laying there on the side of the road. <laughs> that's, that's, I made that story up, okay? The, uh, and he's laying there on the side of the road and a priest walks on the other side A Levite, meaning a church worker, walked on the other side. And then this Samaritan, an enemy of the Jews, looked down upon by the Jews, went over and bandaged him up and took him to a motel and paid for him to be taken care of. And then Jesus said, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, do you think was a neighbor? In response to the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? And the man replied, the one who had mercy on him. And that's what it means to love our neighbors, as Jesus would have us to, to show mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. We wouldn't have that except for author Luke. Story of a young man, the youngest brother who... Decided he wanted to go out and live life. Maybe that's where some of you are right now. You want to live life. And so he got his inheritance and he went out and he blew it all on crazy living, thinking he was living life. And he came to his senses with nothing left. And he realized that even his father's servants were better off than he was. And so he goes back to his father, verse 20, expecting to be treated like a servant, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to him, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And this this story is to give us a picture of the Heavenly Father's love for us. As undeserving as we are, as undeserving as we realize we are, how much he loves us. The son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Luke 18, there's this story that Jesus told uh, to encourage us to pray, to persist in prayer and, and not give up. Verse 2, Jesus said, In a certain town there was a judge who didn't fear God or care what other people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary, that might be where some of you are in your lives to where you realize it's this judge. He didn't care about anybody and he had all the power. This widow, she had no power. What could she do? But she kept pleading. Verse four, for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God, I don't care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me or wear me out. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God, who does care, who does have compassion, bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly... However, when when Jesus returns, will he find this kind of faith on the earth? Will he find us to be a people who are pleading with him and pursuing him day and night for the justice that we long to see him bring? Zacchaeus. Just think, if we didn't have Luke, we wouldn't have the song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. You yeah. got How many? Wow. Um, That's my favorite. No, it's one of my, anyway. uh, Next to Jesus loves me. And so Jesus enters Jericho and he's passing through and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus and he was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He was a traitor to his own people. He was hated by his fellow Jews because he had, Sold himself to the Romans. He collected taxes for the Romans, their their captures. And he ripped them off. And so he had become wealthy at the expense of his own people serving the Romans. But he wants to see Jesus. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, and when Jesus reached the spot he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. For I'm going to your house today. We could sing through that, you know? But look at verse seven, the people began to mutter, He's gonna be the guest of a sinner. Come on, how many of you have thought that about somebody else? They're a sinner, right? But Jesus stood up and said to the Lord, I was pretty good at at that as a Pharisee. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And we can tell this guy really understood Jesus's mercy and responded to it. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham, meaning a son of faith, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Isn't that an incredible story? (laughs) Meaning there is no one, no one beyond God's mercy. No one. And then just this last one we're going to look at. In Luke 21, it's Jesus saying, this is what it means to just love me with your whole being. As Jesus looked up, he was at the temple and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. He also saw a poor widow who put in two very small coins, meaning nothing, it was just like pennies and all these other people dumping in all their money. And Jesus says, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. They put their gifts in out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. And she she, she, she just loves me with everything. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. If we can skip to Luke one, one to four. The incredible thing is this is how Luke opens his book. He's a doctor, remember? Right? And we we don't really want doctors to be exciting. We want them to be good, right? We don't want a doctor to walk in and say, Okay, what are we gonna do today? You know, there's this is Luke. It's very very doctory. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. I can't hardly even understand that, so... And with this underwhelming beginning, what we end up with is 24 chapters in the book of Luke of incredible inspired truth that we wouldn't have if it weren't for anonymous Luke. Luke, who came not to be served. Nobody would even have known this was written by him if Paul hadn't have called him out. Just coming To serve others in Acts chapter 1, the next book that he wrote, he follows it up and says, in my former book, Theophilus, and we're not sure if Theophilus was actually the name of somebody or if the word means lover of God, if it's somebody just that loves God and he's writing too anonymously. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And that's the book of Luke, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And then he goes on for 28 more chapters to just lay out the beginning of the history of the church. We wouldn't have the day of Pentecost. We wouldn't have Peter's being supernaturally called by the Holy Spirit to reach out to Cornelius and bring the gospel to the Gentiles for the first time. We wouldn't have the, the gospel trace from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to and then through Paul's missionary journeys to the to the rest of the known world. Uh, that's the book of Acts that we have because of just this anonymous behind the scenes Luke writing. But I think it's even more than that. As we come to to Luke the Doctor, um, We see a guy that I think God used not just to write Luke and Acts, but also to be a part of really Paul's missionary journeys and and all of Paul's books being able to be written. If we can go to 2 Corinthians, follow along with me. And as you read this, this is Paul writing about his experiences. As you read this, think about Luke, his personal physician, taking care of him. We're going to start. It says, Paul says, I have worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently, and, and these weren't Kitsap County, you know, jail. This is, this is old dungeons. Okay, <laughs> kind of like I led Bible studies for in the Philippines. Two hundred guys, one big room, holes at both corners where they went to the bathroom. Um, Flogged more severely, exposed to death again and again, and his doctor saying, Oh my goodness, Paul, <laughs> take a break. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one, and every time bringing him to the brink of death. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews. And you get the idea, he was in danger, right? Verse 27, I've labored and I've toiled. I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked and besides all of that, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Man, this is, this is Luke, Paul's personal physician, picking up the pieces, <laughs> mending him, caring for him, anonymously taking care of him so that Paul and fulfill the mission that God has called them to in the writing of 13 books of the New Testament that we have. Um, incredible. What do we learn from Luke? Author Luke, Dr. Luke. Uh, four things that I picked up and, and I hope that it can answer the question for us as, as I think we're people that maybe constantly struggle with being behind the scenes and in, in the hero worship culture that we live in to where people that are famous and have money and have power, they're the important ones. To answer the question, what does it mean to be a real hero? I think Luke was, a, was an incredible hero. I mean, what do we have because of Luke? What does it mean? It means humility. If you look at Acts chapter 16... This is Luke, he's writing, and he's with Paul on his missionary journeys. But I want you to see how Luke refers to himself, Paul and his companions. Luke's one of those. They traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they, Luke's one of them, came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia. They went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, "Come over to Macedonia and help us." And after Paul had seen the vision, we—Luke's part of that—we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And he's part of that team. Now, who's getting who's, who's the getting name? It's Paul. But this ministry that Paul is fulfilling and carrying out is a huge part in due to this behind-the-scenes Luke guy. humility. We wouldn't even know about Luke if it wasn't for Paul, but I wonder how much we would really know about Paul <laughs> if it wasn't for Luke. Luke simply lived to serve Jesus and to serve other people. What does it mean to be a real hero I humility the second thing second Timothy chapter four verse nine I think the second thing is faithfulness notice Paul at this point is in a, a Roman a, a dungeon in Rome he's about ready to be we know from history to be executed by Nero. Uh, and as he's languishing in that prison, writing 2 Timothy, this is how he ends his book. As he's writing to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, this is one of his fellow workers, because he loved this world, has deserted me. Man, what a time to desert somebody, huh? Demas, because he loved this world has deserted me. but I don't know, can you, can you blame him though? I mean, he, Paul's in a dungeon. It's not the kind of person you associate with that's about ready to be executed by the Caesar. And he went to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Isn't that incredible? Faithfulness. Faithful Luke, just with, with Paul to the end, serving him. Um, number three, excellence. As we look just back at Luke 1 one to 4 again, verse 3, notice Luke says, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning and I decided to write an orderly account for it. This is a guy committed to excellence, committed that everything he does, he does to the glory of God. You know, and, and when he's writing this, he's writing this to Theophilus. He's not thinking, "Oh my goodness, there's going to be some people in Bremerton, Washington, in 2017 that are going to be reading this, and I got to make sure I got it right." He's just writing to Theophilus, but he's, but he's wanting whatever he does to be done to the glory of God. Is that the way we view our jobs, um, teacher? Nurse, accountant, bookkeeper, electrician, um, engineer. That whatever we do, we do for the glory of God. And then the last thing that I see about Luke in First Timothy six six, Paul says this, and and I wouldn't be surprised that he has Luke in mind. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, Luke. Back in that world, he was by far one of the most educated people that lived. A doctor, an author. I mean, anything would have been at his grasp. Fame, wealth, possessions. All those things that we think give contentment, right? <laughs> those things that we often per- pursue to be happy. It's what Demas pursued, Second Timothy 4, having loved this world. He deserted Paul looking for something that he thought would bring contentment. But here's Luke to the end in a dungeon with Paul. His contentment simply, his joy simply in serving Jesus, right? Not because of fame, not because of notice, not because of praise, but simply because of Jesus and I, my, as I thought about these things, my, my prayer was, Lord, help us to follow Luke's example. <laughs> Humbly, with contentment, faithfully to the end, just wanting to live for God's glory. Four questions that I want us to just reflect on. Number one Do I live to be served or do I live to serve others? Do I live to be served? or to serve others. Number two, am I faithful? You know, it's easy to start well, right? (laughs) To start well, but how much harder to end well? Um, Am I faithful? No matter the circumstances, it probably would have been easy to be faithful if Paul was this, uh, you know, guy that wasn't getting beat up and in prison all the time faithful. Third, do I do everything I do for the glory of God and to the best of my ability? No matter how mundane, no matter what my job is, do I do it for the glory of God and to the best of my ability? And, And finally, am I content? Am I content? Is my joy simply in Jesus not based upon what my job is or what my relationships are? Is my joy simply in Jesus? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Luke's example. Father, just this this guy who lived his life to serve Jesus and serve other people. And man, what an incredible impact he has made on us. Thank you so much, Father. Help us in the same way to simply live, to love, and serve Jesus. Amen.